Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today, as always, is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, well, as we're recording this, happy Labor Day. Hopefully, some of you guys are off and enjoying the, the day, and, you know, if you're out in the East, some good weather. Um, happy happy game week. week uh, it's technically it's week two, but, but week one for us. Week one for most. If, yeah, I don't know what we're really calling this. ESPN's been referring this to as week two. They called this past week week one. So whatever. I don't. I don't know <laughs> if they're like the be all end all. But I mean, they're broadcasting most of the games. So I feel like they kind of they kind of yeah. drive the freight on this. That's fair. But yeah, I, I guess we'll call it week two. We'll call it ACC kickoff. Um, in, in this case, uh, most of the teams are kicking off this week. Aside from right now, at least um, NC State and Virginia Tech, who. Uh, who are not kicking off after a uh, coronavirus issue um, with NC State and testing. Uh, I think, Dan, that's the only game that's been moved so far, right? I think so off the top of my head. Um, there might I don't think there's another. All good. Hopefully. I mean, I, I don't think our game joins the list, if only because I feel like Syracuse has done a pretty good job with it. Of late, well, it seems well, like... Oh, well, UNC game? cleared out their camp. No, I'm saying, well, UNC cleared out their campus yeah. after uh, the big outbreak in, uh, outbreak in August, so that'll allow them to probably have an easier time of things because yeah. that's how uh, that's how we're doing college football this year. Just like get all the kids off campus and charge them all their tuition, and then um, also don't pay the football players who are risking their health to play. It's a Pretty good cool setup. Stuff. It's, it's it's dope. It's a great setup. I love it. <laughs> More on that in in several articles this fall, I'm sure. But yeah, we, uh, we're going to talk plenty about Syracuse, North Carolina. First and foremost, though, why don't we talk a little bit about the, uh, the NFL roster cuts uh, over the weekend. Syracuse players, we had seven of them uh, make NFL rosters. Most of them were expected. One of them was a surprise. Uh, the list for those that didn't see it on Saturday. Uh, Chandler Jones and Justin Pugh both make the Arizona Cardinals. Again, expected given their contracts. Uh, Riley Dixon made the New York Giants once again. That was not a surprise. Uh, Zaire Franklin uh, has he hasn't put up like huge huge numbers for the Colts, but I feel like he's become like a key part of that team, um, and, and he's been a great uh, sub for them, and he's been a guy that like they really value. So I think it wasn't a surprise to see him on the roster once again. Um, Alton Robinson made the roster for the Seahawks after being drafted in the fifth round this year. Sterling Hoffrichter makes the Falcons roster uh, after being drafted in the seventh round this year. Um, both of those were I think expected for the most part. I think Hoffrichter was seen as uh, the heir apparent at punter. Uh, and then the surprise here, uh, undrafted free agent Tristan Jackson, uh, who many kind of doubted his decision to uh, to declare early um, after last year's kind of breakout season for Syracuse, uh, makes the roster for the Rams. All around, like still not – I still love to see more Syracuse players in the NFL, but I'd, I'd say seven's better than it's been. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have a couple guys really ingrained. Obviously, the two – well, at least it's and I expect Hoffrichter to, to be, you know, also really good at the NFL level. Um, Pew and Jones are, are, I mean, Jones, one of the best pass rushers in the league. Uh, Pew's a pretty ingrained starter. Zaire, as you said, like they seem to really value him in the Colts. He was kind of one of the vocal leaders of their offseason uh, social justice push, um, which is impressive for like a former, was he a seventh rounder or undrafted? I think he it was undrafted. Seventh round. Was he seventh round? That's a good question. In any I case, feel like, like I feel like he was seventh round. Let me double check that. Either way, like a guy who like, you know, you have doubts about even making a team and now he seems to be a pretty, you know, solid contributor there. Plus like a guy that clearly the other players look, you know, look to as a, as a leader in some facet. Um, and then great news about, Al- I mean, Alton seems like he had a really good off season. Um, and, but, but even though, even so a guy going in the third day of the draft is no guarantee to make the roster. And uh, obviously he sounds like he impressed during the summer and then Tristan's uh, you know, had a really good draft process. It was a kind of a slight surprise that he uh, didn't go, go in the uh, seven rounds, but it's cool to see him hang on in, uh, you know, getting through roster cuts, especially now when they all happen at once and you have like 30 guys dropping off the team um, in one wave pretty much is, uh, is really tough. Um, So cool for him. That's a team that spreads the ball around and and throws the ball a lot. And, you know, without, uh, Todd Gurley this year, they, I wouldn't be surprised if they pass the ball even more. Um, so hopefully he gets a uh, get some run out there. Yeah, agreed. I, I really like his, his opportunity, kind of long term, to establish himself in LA. Um, some players that didn't make the cut um, for the week: Kendall Coleman uh, didn't make the Colts. Evan Foster didn't make the Niners. That was actually a surprise, uh, especially after they signed him to a three-year deal um, just like a couple weeks ago. I'm not sure what the financial implications of that are for the Niners. Um, how much was guaranteed and all that. 
Um, but Foster is somebody who could potentially catch on practice squad. Uh, Coda Martin uh, was cut by the Cardinals, but it seems like he will, he'll be suiting up for the Cardinals on the practice squad um, anyway. And uh, Chris Slayton, after not making the Giants roster, uh, will go to Buffalo and be on the practice squad there. Um, that was all I saw uh, over the weekend. Uh, that list is kind of in addition to a few players that were cut earlier in the offseason, uh, Evan Adams, Jamal Custis, uh, well, Evan Adams from the Ravens, Jamal Custis from the Steelers, Steve Ishmael from the Colts, and uh, and Sean Riley from the Patriots uh, were all cut earlier this offseason. Yeah, I think that's the list I saw so far. I saw Coda was like I think the most recent news. So, you know, hopefully this practice squad dies, Jet play well. Obviously, they're they're getting played to, paid to play football in some capacity. So things would certainly be worse. But definitely a nice step up from this most recent draft class slash uh, just Syracuse class in general. So good to have a couple other guys. We'll hopefully stick in the league for years to come. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about, like we talked about after the NFL draft um, earlier this year, uh, just some, we could see like a, a good list of names join the next few years. Guys like Andre Cisco, Trill Williams, uh, Afita Melifanwu. Uh, you know, maybe you see some of the offensive linemen. I mean, people have floated services name around. I think that's a possibility. Maybe Blight's down the road. Really don't know like what he's going to turn into for Syracuse. Uh, we still don't know DeVito really. I think there's some there's some questions based on play from last year, but I think if this year's line and we'll get to that um, looks better and he has time to throw, I think you could see DeVito start to kind of rise in, in, into those sort of conversations. Uh, Kingsley Jonathan's a guy who's just an athletic freak. Uh, there's numerous others, but 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 I feel like those would probably be like the names to watch out for this year at least. Um, and some of those guys that will have eligibility left after 2020 as well. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's, there's a lot to learn about basically this whole roster um, aside from like Sisto who, you know, will go in some capacity probably pretty early. Um, but even guys like Trill and Melifonwu like so can certainly get there. I think they're among the more talented players and I would certainly bet on them getting an opportunity, but it, it, you know, there's still work to be done and having a big year this year will go a long way. I think. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Dan, why don't we talk a little bit about that depth chart that we were kind of alluding to earlier? Uh, that was dropped on Monday, so we. It's an adventure. Had, it's an adventure. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of uh, choose your own ending um, kind of stuff going on here. Uh, there's been speculation about numerous players uh, for weeks now, uh, from Abdul Adams and Jarvin Howard in the backfield to uh, Tywell Richards uh, in the linebacker spot, and the uh, the offensive line concerns as well that some injuries some holdouts uh, whatever they may be instead we end up with a weird kind of mismatch like honestly like i don't think other than a couple positions here and there i'm not super concerned or shocked necessarily by what, what what's transpired here however uh and we'll, we'll kind of go position by position um there are some like alert signs that that if things don't clear up by mid-year it could be a very rough season um, so quarterback, obviously, Tommy DeVito's entrenched as the starter. Rex Culpepper will back him up. Running back, however, uh, as mentioned, no Jarvin Howard, no Abdul Adams. Uh, I'm not sure if that's for the season or not. Uh, Dino didn't necessarily, like, provide any info there. Uh, and this depth chart hasn't really provided any info there, at least to my knowledge. Um, but it sounds like opting out was what a lot of people uh, had speculated so that means that Jawar Jordan uh, will be the starter. Markenzie Pierre uh, will be the, uh, the backup to him. And knowing how this offense has worked in previous years, that probably means we see plenty of both. Um, Dan, how do you think this changes uh, the, uh, the running game now uh, without Adams and Howard, who seemed like they were a little bit more suited to kind of, you know, mash things between the tackles and, and start to wear down, uh, you know, defensive interiors? Um, I think it puts a lot of onus on Marchenzi Pierre, who is probably going to have to inherit that between the tackles uh, run uh, ability, especially because now we have Chris Elmore playing starting left guard, which is uh, probably not what we wanted. Um, you know, good for him for making what a third or fourth position change and like learning offensive line in an off season. Like that's, you know, a, a solid, I mean, he's obviously like a really good teammate. Everyone loves him, but um, it's probably not what you want to have a guy who, I mean, maybe he played off the line in high school, but hasn't really played it since then. That's not ideal. Um, George Jordan, I think we're both really impressed with. We talked about it uh, for our preview, a couple of, uh, our season preview a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm more worried about the offensive line. I think um, the left guard situation is uh, pretty onerous. 
Um, not only do we not know about Bleich, um, but Dakota Davis is missing off the depth chart as well. I don't know if we have any more info on that, if that's an opt-out or uh, or what. Who knows? Um, but yeah, like I think there are there are pieces here that are good. We like Bergeron. We like uh, Service at left tackle. Veterello at center. All pretty, you know, potentially uh, pretty serviceable. Um, Tisdale and then the, the Elmore thing. Maybe Pat Davis slides into that spot if Elmore can't cut it, but um, the guard situation is rough, and that's I, I, I worry more about that than the running back situation. Honestly, I, you know, at best, like a running back should have been a a, a, a positive for this team and a strength of this team. Um, so it's not good that we have our top two backs out, but I, I kind of bullish on the two guys we had behind them anyway. Um, but that was more with like a a fully you know powered offensive line, which obviously we do not have at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that with my one concern on on, on the running back front is kind of like what you said there, there's just not we don't have the, the the sort of power back and and yes Pierre is about the same size um as as Howard as Adams but we haven't necessarily seen you know a ton of production from him he also hasn't had a ton of opportunities though uh in 2019 uh Pierre just had five carries for six yards uh back in 2018 he had eight carries for 35 yards uh 2017 uh 25 carries 89 yards I mean, maybe with more consistent work, um, you know, he, he can look like an every down back, but realistically, you know, George Jordan and that speed uh, is going to kind of drive the bus there. And, and then that becomes a little bit of a concern based on how this offense has run its, it, itself in, you know, in recent years, a lot of runs between the tackles, a lot of uh, dives. That's going to take a toll on a speedy back. And it's also going to be very hard for a speedy back to do that on a week to week basis. Like, you know, Mo Neal kind of, turned himself into someone who could be a between the tackles uh, runner over time, but that wasn't something he was doing right out the gate. Uh, and, and, and I think that, you know, Howard, I think that, sorry, Jamar uh, Jordan is a smaller back than Neil uh, was as a freshman. So I'm skeptical there, but I, I'm even more skeptical because of the reasons that you kind of laid out uh, having, you know, a, a lot of questions at guard, like the fact that Elmore, Pat Davis and, uh, and Darius Tisdale are the only uh, guards even on this uh, depth chart. Pat Davis is listed as the backup at both left and right guard uh, is incredibly problematic. Uh, Darius Tisdale hasn't taken a, well, I don't think he's taken a snap. Uh, he's really inexperienced uh, at one guard position, Elmore obviously at the other, uh, something that seemed like it was going to be a bit of a bounce back strength after a rough most of the season last year now turns into a concern once again. Uh, and I think the interior line issues you know, could really sink this run game where if we at least had the the line in place, you could say, okay, maybe Syracuse is able to run the ball um, as they normally want to in this offensive scheme. Uh, but, but I'm definitely a lot more concerned now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I mean, and it's a major issue for the past game as well. Um, last year, DeVito was pretty under siege uh, for most of the season, but now... Especially on the interior. Especially on the interior. Um, and if you've ever watched, like, anyone play the LA Rams, like, if you have an interior pass rush, it's, like, really disrupt, uh, disruptive because, like, you can you can adjust for a really good defensive end in some ways. Um, if someone's getting bull rushed through the middle, uh, that's a major, major issue. Um, that maybe maybe that won't be as big a thing with UNC's three man front this week, but down the road for sure. And then we also have two pretty inexperienced running backs who um, will be tasked with picking up the slack in the passing game uh, as blockers as well. Um, and we talked about it two weeks ago. One of the big issues with having uh, young backs, while they can probably run the ball pretty well if they're talented, um, the blocking is what comes along and, and uh, adjusting and picking up signs and signals and and you know being a vocal leader from the backfield uh, in pre-snap. All these things are really difficult for a young back to get like right uh, you know right off the bat in their college career, and these guys are just not going to be as good um, in all likelihood uh, than the the two veterans that we seem to that we don't seem to be having uh available at least at the start of the season and now the fact they haven't opted out i mean that we haven't heard they've opted out they haven't said it publicly like maybe there's a chance they rejoin us 
um, a couple weeks in, maybe they're waiting to see the uh, the protocols in place and whatnot. But uh, I wouldn't bet on it. So yeah, it's it's uh it's really not what we thought we were doing uh, entering the season. But that's that's so much of this whole situation anyway. So we shall see what it looks like this weekend because it's uh not an easy first test. No, no, not at all. And we'll kind of get into the North Carolina game in the second half of the podcast here. Uh, wanted to kind of circle back quick to uh, wide receivers. Maybe we can head to the defensive side of the ball on the step chart. Uh, Taj Harris, obviously uh, the top starter on the outside uh, for Syracuse. And then also, am I reading this right? That he's, was he always this light? Taj Harris, I got at 6'2", 164. I feel, you know, I was thinking that as well. I feel like he's always listed below what he, like, he doesn't look that light because that's a small, that's a small player. But that also, I mean, that even for him, that seems below what we, I'm I'm looking at what the 2019 roster what the 2019 like roster said he was. So he was at 175 on last year's roster. I certainly hope he didn't lose nine pounds in the offseason. That's that, not I a mean, great sign of anything. No. Um that's a concern. Yeah, I mean the the heights and weights on these rosters are always like I'm never super, you know, involved with how they look, but because you know, obviously they, they fudge a lot of it, but like, I don't know why they would make touch <laughs> like, like, you know, 10 to 15 pounds lighter than he actually is. That doesn't seem to be giving us a competitive advantage in any way. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a little concerned about that now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's listed at 154 on the roster as well. So uh, the 2020 roster. So that's, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. A uh, <laughs> little bit of red flag. Maybe somebody asked that in a press conference on Tuesday. Um, Todd, did you lose nine pounds. Yeah, <laughs> please, share, please share more because I'm very concerned. Um, Anthony Quayley is going to start uh, uh, opposite him. Quayley's at 6'2", 193. Um, That's an interesting one. One of the more interesting things on the step chart, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think like, because I'm trying to I'm backtrack quick. So last year, Quayley did not really see the field, didn't catch any passes. I thought, though, that we had, I mean, memory might serve incorrect here, but I thought we had heard that he was looking pretty solid in the off season last year. Uh, and I think they wanted to just kind of preserve the shirt, but he's got the size. I mean, I, I I'd love to see more of him, uh, obviously having Hendricks um, as a backup, Justin Barron's another uh, surprising one. Some, somebody who we thought was maybe going to be a defensive end coming in uh, ends up coming in as a wide receiver, six four two oh eight. So he's got some great size. And I think he's another guy who, uh, you know, similar to a Luke Benson type, um, creates some mismatches. Obviously, Benson still got about 25 pounds on him, but having 6'4", 208-pound wide receiver is going to hurt if you're a, if you're an ACC cornerback uh, or safety. Yeah, clearly Dino wants to get, like, his big guys on the outside, whether you have, you know, the two tight end sets, which I think have been alluded to. We talked about the possibility for it, but then I think they alluded to it in the last couple weeks in the press conferences as well. Um, getting Hackett and Benson out there, which we're supportive of. Um, but also then looking at Harris, Ben, Barron, uh, and then Quigley and Hendricks, all uh, sits two or taller, Barron and uh, Hendricks being like, you know, over 200 pounds, um, Quigley being 193, so, you know, not a small receiver. But we clearly want to have those two positions with bigger guys and then have your Nike teams and your Sherrods in the slot. Um, and I also imagine like, I, I feel like if we're having, if we have a two receiver set, it's more likely that it's going to come from the Nikeem, Sherrod Johnson duo. Uh, Courtney Jackson's the third on that list. Um, if we're doing two, uh, two receivers versus three, but it looks like, you know, three receivers is our base here. Yeah, agreed. And, and as you mentioned, like Nikeem is going to be your starter um, on the inside right now. Uh, Sherrod Johnson or Courtney Jackson will back him up. Uh, I'm pretty high on Courtney Jackson long-term. Uh, I think that Nikeem Johnson though, earns the right to, to kind of keep his role uh, for now, you know, last year really didn't go too well for inside receivers for Syracuse in general, between Johnson struggles and Sean Riley struggles. Uh, hopefully we see something more resembling uh, Nike Johnson's 2018 um, efforts than what we saw in 2019. And if we get something resembling 2018, uh, I definitely like our odds a lot more. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of play. I like that whole spot. Like I think all three of those guys should be contributors, if not this year, run down the road, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it should be a talented group. I think the receivers, you know, well, maybe have to pick up some slack now. I don't know if we go, if we become more pass oriented than we had hoped um, going into the season. I know, you know, we've talked about so much with when, when Central Michigan was rolling, um, or not Central Michigan, uh, Bowling Green uh, was rolling. Dino uh, 
love to have his like running backs really kind of carry the thing. It was kind of, if not a run first offense, it was a super balanced offense. And um, that might not be uh, a possibility given what we have here, but you know, we'll find out. Agreed. Uh, looking over at the defense, uh, nothing necessarily surprising uh, here. As, as we've mentioned, Josh Black and Kingsley Jonathan started on the outside. McKinley Williams will hold things down in the middle. Uh, Cody Roscoe and C- Caleb Okachukwu get involved in the rotation along with Curtis Harper on the interior. Um, all that makes sense. Linebackers obviously get thrown for a little bit of a loop uh, without Richards. Uh, instead, you had Stephon Thompson, true freshman, uh, on the strong side. Weak side will be manned by Mikel Jones. Uh, and then the middle linebacker position uh, goes to Jeff Canton Arku. This still concerns me uh, just because that, like, if Thompson was able to establish himself, beat out Linton, who, uh, who seemed like he had at least some sort of hold um, on, on a starting role back in spring, like, great. And, and, and I'd love to see him uh, get going. I, I think the interesting thing now here is that with Jones and Thompson starting, you're actually looking at something completely opposite of what Dino was talking about early in the offseason when he wanted bigger players at linebacker. And now you end up with yeah two, two linebackers, at about six one or shorter, and then just one um, linebacker at six four or taller in uh, in Can Narku. Yeah, it's interesting. I'd say the one positive here is that we've had years past where our linebacker, since uh, we had like the run of like just having really secure linebackers, um, there were years where we were like kind of had a, a piece. Uh, a, weird group like this but they were like older guys and juco's and whatnot and this is a very young group um we're looking at what two or three sophomores uh two freshmen and a retro freshman across the two deep so like and really, then, like one only like one actually like experienced player in the defense like jones is the only person on this entire uh, two deep for the linebackers to play any defensive snaps last year yeah so Obviously, like experience is a concern, and we've seen what happens when you have inexperienced linebackers. But I'd rather roll the dice with young guys than like trying to slap together some JUCOs and some seniors who haven't really played before, because at least there's a chance that they develop during the year and they can make up for misassignments with athleticism. Obviously, um, Padba, who's the backup middle linebacker, and Jones were both like far star type recruits. Um, I think uh, Tanton Arcu is a super interesting guy. All the Canadians um, tend to kind of fly under the radar, so there's a good chance we get a diamond in the rough there. Um, and then Thompson winning as a true freshman over a guy who was pretty installed like Linton, as you said. Um, certainly interesting. Like, uh, that doesn't happen by accident. So I'd say at least, like, you know, hopefully we get at least some, some fun, athletic, um, high upside play there. Uh, but I do expect that we'll have some, some real growing pains as well. Yeah, and I think we're going to miss Richards a lot. And I think while we haven't necessarily seen a consistent output from him just because of position concerns and, and I mean, whether it was injuries or whatever, like we haven't seen as much of Richards as I think we wanted to, considering like his reputation as being an athletic freak. Um, and I think that his playmaking ability and, and pass rushing ability um, is really going to be missed uh, this year. Yeah, no, I agree. He was, I was excited to see what he could do. Um, he's been pretty vocal about his concerns about this whole situation so it's not surprising to see him off of the step chart um i guess we'll see if if anything changes going forward but doesn't sound like he's gonna be joining us like basically the only guy who it sounds like we might get back is blight if the ncaa comes through with like a true last second waiver decision but i wouldn't bet on any of the other guys popping back up this week yeah same uh now last well not last last but less in the defense at least uh we had some secondary shifts even if the names are the same uh it was kind of speculated last week that, uh, that we could see some some changes at the rover position and in the safety uh, positions. Eric Coley uh, heads to the boundary safety position. Uh, Trill Williams actually moves over to free safety. And then in the rover, Andre Sisko uh, will be there, backed up by Ben Labrosse, the uh, another true freshman from Canada. Uh, Dan, what's your kind of thought on – I mean, I, I think Steve did a really nice article last week uh, talking about how Sisko could be used differently or how at least, you know, being kind of very variant – with Trill, Cisco, and Coley could uh, provide some real benefits for SU. Um, but what do you think about Cisco in, in the Rover role um, as opposed to his traditional safety spot? Um, I think it's kind of like a find your way to make your best defensive playmaker. Um, it put him in his position to make those plays. Um, now, obviously, we like, we've like we liked Cisco uh, kind of protecting the deep field. He's gotten a lot of interceptions that way. But we've also seen him 
play up on the line a little bit. Um, I think he has the athleticism to be a little bit more versatile. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued by this whole thing, but it, it does seem like we're, we're cross training a lot of our guys. Like obviously Melifon was playing cornerback. We know that that's pretty set. Um, but then between Coley and Sisto and Trill, um, even LeBros as a true freshman, it sounds like we're kind of cross training guys to be able to play a lot of different positions. A to give us a little more flexibility if there are injuries or we like different matchups. Um, but I'm just a fan of being able to plug guys into different spots um, and get like the, the the best possible group out there. So I, I'm definitely interested by this defensive backfield, um, even more so after seeing uh, this, because it, it, it's not an accident that we're putting Sisto there. Like clearly that's a position where we think he can make a lot of good things happen. Yeah. And I mean, for me, like just his ability, like where he really thrived the most, like actually think at times for him against deep ball or when he was kind of boxed in, I did feel like he could try to do too much and it would create some problems in the back end of the defense. Now as someone who can kind of literally rove around and really kind of pick his spots. Um, I feel like he could be, this is something that we could really be unleashing him and this could be what propels him into a first round draft pick. Yeah. I mean, this is a spot where you see a lot more, um, there's a lot more utility here in the NFL. This now, uh, a lot of teams kind of implement players like this or have gotten more um, out of kind of, I wouldn't talk Sisto a tweener really. I think he could play safety at the NFL level, but like um, it just seems like there, there's, there's a lot more use for guys who have different skill sets who aren't just your classic drop back, play deep free safety. Um, so definitely interested to see how we utilize him. I wouldn't be surprised if he was rushing the passer a little bit um, out of this. I, I think you're going to see a lot of interesting things from him. Yeah, I agree. Um, Corners, obviously, Fita Melifanwu gets one spot, um, as expected. Garrett Williams gets the other, Richard Freshman, uh, who will start over there. Uh, Neil Nunn uh, is listed as a uh, backup for him. Nunn was actually, I think for the most part, thought of as a safety. Um, so again, kind of gets to the point that you were making about uh, us trying to crush train these guys and having a lot of players play different positions. Yeah, it's also just interesting in general with this whole defense. Aside from the defensive line, we have a very young defense, like Trill, Sisto, and Coley are, uh, and Milifanu, like we have the, the juniors there, but um, the entire linebacking core and then Williams and then guys like Nunn who will play, uh, Chase Atkinson will probably get some time, the, the backups at the safety and rubber positions. Like this is a, hopefully if this year is kind of like a lost year for like a, a million reasons, hopefully we get a lot of good reps for these players so that we can really build on something with this defense heading forward. Um, not that I'm like ruling it out. I think this defense could be pretty good if the linebackers uh, step up and the defensive backs are where we think they are. Um, but I think even if the season kind of goes south because of the injury, the issues on offense, we might at least get like hopefully some good development on the defense on top of like some fun play from Williams and Sisto and the other guys that are like entrenched. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, you bring up so much youth. I mean, we'll see how much of this is due to opting out or injuries or whatever. But it's it's definitely odd, maybe, to see. I feel like we're young every year. Um, yeah. You know, somehow. <laughs> no, I agree. Uh, there's been, like, turnover in, in weird ways and weird, like, waves of it. Yeah, like, where, like, there's, there's still been, like, I don't necessarily know if it's a bad thing, but there's been a lot of attrition even now. Like, I feel like every offseason we're losing, like, four, three to four guys. And at this point, a lot of them are, like, Dino recruits. So maybe the quality of the player coming in is, is getting better. Um, obviously, like I think every single year now, we've seen like a couple freshmen pop up on the, depth, on the top of the depth chart um, within the first like few weeks of the season. So, you know, part, part of that, again, could be a, a product of just getting better players. Part of it could be um, guys not working out or scheme issues. I know we've changed schemes enough, too, that um, sometimes you just get like kind of recruited over as well. Yeah, it's definitely like hopefully kind of an optimistic read on it, but uh you know, we'll find out, especially with these defensive bats, we'll find out a lot this weekend. Yeah. Uh, last on the uh, depth chart before we get to kind of halftime and everything, uh, as kind of posited by us uh, a couple weeks ago, well, yeah, it less like two or three weeks, um, James Williams looks like did not uh, beat Nolan Cooney for the punting job. Uh, so he seems like a possible redshirt this year uh, with Cooney being a redshirt senior. Uh, it seems like the walk-on will be able to be the punter, at least for now. Um, as long as he performs well, uh, he'll probably hold off Williams, which is good for us because Williams was a highly regarded punter. So if we can get an extra year at him like we did with Hoffrichter, uh, it's not a bad deal. Yeah, I mean, it'll be 
interesting to see like Cooney, who wasn't regarded as like a star player like our other punters. And again, that's a whole snoopy thing. But we've had like a run of like four or five quote unquote star punters in a row. Um, Cooney doesn't totally fit that bill, but also like he could just step in and be really good. So um, he's certainly been around enough guys at the position who can be good. And if, if we can get a, a fifth year out of James Williams, then it's, it should be a good situation moving forward. So hopefully Cooney is, is, is good for the job and can uh, keep things going and be a nice little bridge. I would agree. Uh, before we get to halftime, did want to give a shout out to um, our sponsor for today, uh, kind of our sponsor really for like this month or so, I guess. Uh, Homefield Apparel um, is working with Noon's Magician. Uh, Homefield has incredibly comfortable vintage collegiate apparel. Uh, we just launched over the weekend. Some might have seen the uh, post and, and resulting Twitter uh, shenanigans over on, uh, on Big News Saturday. Uh, hopefully you used your 20% off uh, Big Noons code on Saturday. But if not, uh, you can now use a 10% off code for Noons and get 10% off your purchase um, over there this time around. Uh, Dan, do you have a favorite shirt uh, thus far? Um, I think it's probably a boring pick. I just think the strip Q shirt is killer. Um, I ordered one of those. I ordered a lot of other stuff. I spent way too much money on shirts this weekend. Luckily, 20% less than I would have otherwise. But um, no, I got a, I mean, Vita the Dote's amazing. My one concern with Vita the Dote is that like, it's such an obscure reference. Um, <laughs> but I also, uh, during our Saturday uh, onslaught uh, in which we passed UConn for sales in their first week, um said uh tweeted out that we should just bring a goat back i think we just totally just just let's throw it back it's 100 years since we had a, a live goat mascot let's bring vita back keep auto obviously um but yeah I, I would totally be down for being the school with a live goat mascot for no reason and also an orange um and then i, I mean i think most of the shirts look really good so you can't really go wrong actually the uh the the kind of 90s style like uh weird like word art style uh syracuse u shirt was pretty cool i got one of those um the auto shirt's great uh yeah i mean there's there's just a lot of good options um they really really did us did us well i thought so yeah don't don't grab some some puffy shirts in time for uh in time for football season yeah uh the i mean vita the goat obviously a favorite of mine i already have a vita the goat shirt but i might have to buy another one i have another great home field shirt uh from tulane obviously uh, that one is a, is definitely a favorite, but yeah, I, I think that the, the script Q shirt, um, w- was one that a lot of people talked about. Uh, and then another one that people really seemed to like was the, uh, the loud house one. Um, oh, I got a loud house too. I ordered one of those um, yeah, with, with the random, like kind of series with the random, like, uh, like image that we have for the dome. I think that will age well. It's like, it'll be, I mean, that, that's going to be a, a real, uh, kind of retro piece very soon here since, you know, that dome logo is probably going to be going away soon since our new roof is all fancy and not dome like watch we just leave it <laughs> i mean I, I or if they tried to stylize something like the current roof i feel like it would go terribly wrong it would look dumb. i mean well i think that's the vikings did that right i think they have uh i don't know if it's a stadium that has a stylized like logo that looks like the slanted roof um I don't know that our roof is going to be like signature enough. Not that it doesn't look cool. I think it looks great based on what we've seen so far. It just doesn't have like that weird Viking slant thing that makes like a really uh, specific image. Um, but I mean, if someone wants to cool, sign a cool uh, logo for our, our new, uh, formerly known as the Terrier Dome Stadium, I guess definitely still known as the Terrier Dome Stadium, um, I'm all for it. Yeah, I agree. If people want to try their hand at that, go for it. Uh, so yeah, use the uh, Noons code. Uh, for ten percent off on home field, uh, whenever you guys want to buy some new shirts in time for season or just in the middle of the season, whenever. Uh, but changing topics a little bit, Dan, what have you been drinking of late? Um, a fair amount. Uh, I went over to Evil Twin Brewing, their actual new-ish brewery, yesterday. Um, they have a lot of really good stuff going right now. Um, they're even more Hydra, which uh, is a super fruity milkshake style. Uh, sour um, is one of the crazier beers I think I've ever had. It drinks just like like a smooth, like an actual smoothie, um, but it's it's super strong. Uh, I think it's seven percent. Um, it's sitting at like almost a four point eight on Untapped, which like just doesn't really happen very much. I know it's sold out in cans like right away, but they had it on tap. Uh, really delicious, um, very heavy, uh, but super drinkable. Um, just really one of the more interesting beers I've had in a long time. Um, their double rice, rice peach, uh, double IPA was also very good. Um, they hide their, they, they master alcohol like 
very dangerously here uh, medieval twin uh, and then I also have their not not your typical spice peach tobbler or pear tobbler which might have actually been the best beer I had from them yesterday uh, uh, an IPA a sour IPA uh, kind of pear flavor but with like a real like a lot of autumn in this one uh, definitely a fall be- a fall beer um, definitely had some like spice uh, some fall spices some nutmeg probably um, some milk sugar uh, really delicious um, and then uh, some decent IPAs from them. Right now, I'm drinking from Bottomless Brewing in Geneva, actually, um, a uh, soda uh, soda bread red, which is actually a really nice, like, kind of uh, balanced, uh, easy drinkable uh, crowler that I'm having. So a good good beer weekend overall. Very nice. I'm jealous. I uh, I just finished up some uh, some Russian River stuff, the Mine Circus, Flying for President, uh, some. Uh, what else was there? Row two, Hill 56, all beers I mentioned in some previous episodes. Also had, uh, courtesy of Steve um, on the blog, a, a bottle of Anna from uh, Hill Farmstead, their uh, honey uh, farmhouse ale, which I, I will contend is one of the better um, large format beers for $10 or less in the country. And there really aren't a lot of like comparable beers either. Like it's just not, this is not a style that like a lot of people like mess around with, at least for like honey, say farmhouse sales, yes, but like, Honey farmhouse sales, no, there's just not like a lot of beers like it out there. And I think, again, one of the better beers for $10 or less that you're going to find in a 750 milliliter bottle, pretty excellent all around. And, uh, and I, anyone who does get regular access to uh, Hill Farmstead stuff, I would, I would highly recommend you, uh, you pick some up. Yeah, I mean, Hill Farmstead kills it all the time. I haven't had any of their stuff in a while, but um, it's pretty accessible in the Northeast. It's, I mean, they're just so good all the time. Agreed. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about North Carolina, Syracuse's first opponent. Uh, no, I'm not rooting for the Tar Heels, to clear that up for anybody wondering. Um, we're kind of going to just go through the depth chart a little bit, talk about some key spots where they might be able to gain an advantage or not. Oh, and look, some, uh, some breaking news here. Enrique Cruz commits to Syracuse. Let's go. Oh, I haven't even seen this. Let me. Uh... Literally just popped four star. Oh, tackle Enrique Cruz just committed. Yeah, I just see. I see my Kavanaugh's tweet. Very exciting. Bid bid uh bid push for wide receivers from us recently. Well, this is an easy tackle, but. Oh. But you're, I... you're, you're you're about Victor Cruz. <laughs> oh yeah, that's exactly what happened. Kavanaugh uh, <laughs> posted a Victor Cruz gif, and I just like mentally. Somehow that put wide receiver in my uh, in my head um, because I hadn't even seen what position he was. Uh, so yeah, off the tackle. So also helpful as we've put out a uh, four star on twenty four seven sports, which is awesome. Um, you know, probably a fringe guy in terms of the composite. Um, yeah, looks like some some good offers: Arizona, Arizona State, Indiana, Chicago guy or Chicago area guy. Um, yeah, He's picking I'm, a slew I'm of offers right. lately. This like is exciting. Yeah, I think when I I last looked at he's from Illinois, Willowbrook. Uh, no, sorry, he's Willowbrook High School in Villa Park, Illinois. Yeah, Arizona, Arizona State, Indiana. What other offers were there lately? Kansas, Louisville, Memphis, Mississippi State, OK State, Temple, Toledo, Utah, Wake, West Virginia. Like this is a solid list. He's our second top five hundred commit. Uh, it looks like he's number two in our class behind Deuce Chestnut for 24-7's composite. Um, yeah, this is good work. And then we got Amari Hatcher uh, a couple days ago, who was the wide receiver I was referring to, who is our third rank commit. Um, yeah, just so, I mean, this class is, I, I, I'm a big fan. I think this is probably, uh, the, obviously, the, the 2018 class, we've talked about at length, like, did the ratings weren't, you know, what you expect from an elite class, but some of the players turned so good that that's what you're looking for. And this definitely profiles as that kind of class on paper, at least. Yeah, I agree. And, and realistically, like this, the class only gets dinged a bit by the fact that a lot of these guys weren't able to get evaluated enough. Um, I think some of these guys are just kind of, you know, underscouted or, or under-recruited in many ways, uh, just because of the state of the world and everything. You also have just kind of some of the uh, recruiting sketchiness um, around, you know, like Chestnut's ranking falling um, after he committed, uh, Cruz is like a top, just as a top 200, um, on 24 seven, but he's, uh, you know, he's in the composite, uh, inside the f- top 500 
there's a lot of like rankings weirdness, and I think that's just going to be the case for for a lot of uh, a lot of these guys this year, given the uh, the situation where there aren't so many in person camps. Yeah, I'm looking at rivals. And I assume that's where the yeah. So he doesn't even have a position ranking on rivals. He's just a three star. Um, but I assume they just haven't had a chance to evaluate him. So it's like, I think that's pretty easy to see where the, where the issue is there. Like if rivals is able to see him in camp, he's, you know, even if they rank him below where 24 seven is, there's a decent chance he ends up being a, a composite four-star kid. And then if he ranks like in the top, you know, six or 700 for rivals, even, and that's saying like, there's even a big gap there, then it shoots up his composite rating a lot. And, and he's, you know, maybe the first hit in our, in our, uh, list though but either way it's 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 something did a kid of that caliber um and the, you know after getting deuce chestnut at cornerback uh, last month so definitely i think uh our best class in at least a few years and a chance to be our best class in a long time yeah no i completely agree there um but yeah well we still have some time here uh talk a little bit about north carolina uh sam howell is uh was last year one of the better freshmen in the country at any position and uh i think i mean he can't Necessarily, given the fewer games, he's not going to may not improve on the 3,600 yards and 38 touchdowns as a true freshman last year. But I do see him being very, very good. Um, I think that it presents an interesting test right off the bat uh, for Syracuse and, and that secondary and kind of all those changes that we alluded to. I think the 335 is going to be a good scheme for to go up against a player like that. Um, but I also think that if there are still some kinks to work out, that we're going to see them very quickly <laughs> in, in that first game. Um, if for some reason we're able to lock down him, uh, Michael Carter and Javante Williams are both very good running backs uh, from last year. And I, I'm not super hopeful that we're going to be able to both stop the passing game and the run game. I think North Carolina is still going to be able to put up points and uh, this very well uh, could be a bit of a track meet. I know last year from a rushing perspective, um, you know, Carter had just over a thousand yards, but only three touchdowns. Uh, Javante Williams had just short of a thousand yards and five touchdowns. Um, they've also got some other experienced players in the backfield as well. Um, from a receiving perspective, um, this is one of the better uh, receiving cores in the country. Diami Brown, a uh, thousand yards, 12 touchdowns. Daz Newsom, thousand yards, 10 touchdowns. Uh, Bo Corrales, another guy who like can, you know, make big plays, find the end zone. Like this is a, this is just a scary group to go up against. And I think that this becomes a real, like, this is, even if SU's secondary is good and, and, and ready to go, I think this becomes a point of concern for us. Yeah. This is a really well-balanced offense. Um, as you said, they had, you know, almost 2000 yard rushers last year. Um, I don't know that they'll have that this year with the fewer games, but you're looking at two guys who could get there in a normal season. Um, the Howell, one of the best quarterbacks, maybe the second best quarterback in the ACC. That might not even be like super uh, controversial to say. Um, coming off of like, and that, that was even like with some growing pains last year. He really rounded into form the last the back half of the season, was one of the best quarterbacks in the country in the last five games for them. Um, super scary. And then you add in like, I think his five top receivers are back, including Brown and Newsom, the 2000 yard guys. It's uh, it's concern. Um, I think to beat them, we're going to have to outstore them. They, they, definitely uh have more to prove on defense they lose uh, a fair amount from the defensive line um they had three defensive bats opt out uh the only major one i think is dj ford who might have started for them but the other two were reserve players but in any case it's not great for them we have to hope their offensive line doesn't have the same kind of improvement that we're hoping our offensive line does it was pretty bad last year but it brought back uh i think six guys with starting experience so there's a chance they were going to turn a corner um they did lose uh, their left tackle, Charlie Heck, to the NFL, uh, who was probably their best lineman last year. So it's uh, it's a challenge. I think they they can be had over the top. They Their defensive bats were opportunistic, not unlike ours. They had 14 picks last year, um, and like guys like Storm Duck are really good, but they do give up big plays in the passing game. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the pathway to win. I think uh, we need a really, really good DeVito game uh, to kind of outgun Howell, and that's that's a big – that's a tough task. Uh, Howell, I think, is the real deal. And has, like, more experienced guys to throw to, has more experienced oh, running yes. backs. Um, Storm Duck, shout out to him for having one of the better names in college football. Um, absolutely worth acknowledging anytime you talk about uh, North Carolina. Uh, also think Chaz Surratt's one of the, if not the best linebacker in the conference, uh, the former quarterback. Just been a real powerhouse since he switched positions. 
Um, this team has just gotten so much more talented over time, and they are um, they're going to be a handful, even for like what I what I hope Syracuse fans do, because we're not used to having like measuring stick games or like we're not used to facing tough teams like this in week one. I just hope the overreactions don't start pouring in if we lose by like 15 and like just kind of get derailed at the end because this is a legitimate like top 25 squad and a squad that has been recruiting at a top 30 level. And I just think that like SU can still be very good or at least like much improved this year and still lose this game by a couple scores. Yeah, on paper, like I think they are the – I don't know if they are odds-wise the Atlanta or the Trostal favorite, but I, I would pick them, I think. I don't remember who I did pick. Um, but I think UNC just looked really, really talented. Um, they were – last year they were 7-6. and six. They were 3-6 and six in one-score games. Uh, they lost – every game they lost was by seven or fewer points. Um, and they, you know, they won a couple of those games as well, but they were playing close. Awesome. Almost beat Clemson. They lost. They should have beaten Clemson. They lost twenty-one twenty. Um, they lost uh, to Vatek on the road in six overtimes. They lost to Pitt in overtime. Um, they lost to, to conference or division champ UVA by one touchdown. They lost by three to Appalachian State in like early in the season after you know when they were still kind of finding themselves. So it's uh, this team like that can cut both ways, uh, but this team was not far off from putting together like a really, really impressive first year under Matt Brown. Um, So, and they bring back the most, most of their team. Like they lose a little bit in the defensive line, a little bit in the, the, the defensive backfield, but, um, and one don't offensive lineman, but it's, uh, it's a really strong group. Um, and one that like is definitely way ahead of schedule. Um, I, I assume that we were probably pretty low on the Matt Brown hire, Similar yeah. reasons why we were low on, you know. Well, he also these- almost hired Greg Robinson as a defense coordinator first time around. That's true. And he did hire Richard Robinson as a defense coordinator uh, in his last year at Texas. So, like, it's not like he had a lot of, like, great outgoing memories from those last <laughs> four or five seasons at Texas. And his recruiting was questionable. Um, he famously passed up on, uh, I think he wanted uh, RG3, Johnny Manziel, and Patrick Mahomes to play safety. So those were all good decisions. Um didn't get any of them. Didn't get Andrew Luck, who uh, reportedly wanted to go there, at least you know, potentially. Didn't get Jameis Winston, who he recruited. Um, basically hasn't had a good quarterback since Colt McCoy. Um, but now Sam Howell looks like uh, very much that. Um, but he's done a really good job of kind of implementing uh, you know, what he wants recruiting-wise. Has, has sold the program really well. Um, is, you know, this is a program that I think a lot have identified as like one of those sleeping giants in the ACC for a long time. They're a good brand name. Uh, they're in a talent-rich state um, that hasn't always come about. Obviously, Fedora had some decent years, but um, it seems like Matt Brown, he did made good coordinator hires after almost hiring Greg Robinson. Um, they've, you know, it just seems like they're like a year or two ahead of schedule, and that's, that's uh, really unfortunate for us drawing this game randomly based on a completely, like, you know, unforeseeable ACC situation. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I think that this this North Carolina team is is kind of a worst case scenario for Syracuse from a scheduling perspective, and uh, I'm not thrilled to see them on there um, at all. But never mind at the very start. Um, Dan, I'll kind of give my prediction, and we can hear kind of yours and why. Um, I've got UNC forty, Syracuse uh, twenty seven. I just think that again. I think there's too many offensive weapons, even a even a better secondary, even a secondary that really works in the three three five scheme, um, is going to have a hard time stopping all those weapons we we mentioned. I think you know a lot's going to ride on their offensive line, same as ours, uh, and, and I feel like our offensive line, even if it figures it out eventually uh, with Elmore at, at tackle at guard, excuse me, that's still going to take a bit, and I think that it, it, it's just a rough opponent in, in week one. So. I think SU surprises in the second half and actually like hangs around for a bit, but ultimately loses by a couple scores. Yeah, I'm going Syracuse 42, or no, not Syracuse, uh, UNC 42, <laughs> Syracuse 24, so an 18-point loss. Um, just think it's going to be tough to, to, to outshoot this team, um, given our concerns on the offensive line uh, and, running, and the running game in general. Um, and it's just like, I think UNC is a, uh, at best when you make them one-dimensional. Um, they were 5-0 and when they ran for 200 yards or more last year. Um, I think it's going to be a struggle to uh, to make them like a pass-first team if we can't like put up some big points early. So hopefully we hang with them, but I, I think this is going to be a pretty definitive one. 
Yeah, and again, I, I just I just hope everybody like for really the whole season, but especially this game, um, just kind of hangs around and and understands that like the first game in particular, it's going to be rough because of just how good UNC is, and I think you know facing a really good pit defense um, in week two is not really going to be a, a walk in the park either. Uh, that said, like there, there's just there's too many factors to, to like UNC here, and uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope everybody's wrong. I hope uh, I hope Syracuse pulls off a nice uh, week one upset, but we uh, I'm not going to bank on it. They might cover. I mean, I picked them to cover there at least. I decided to. That line's really big. Twenty two and a half is a lot. Yeah, that's a lot, especially between like two conference foes. And again, we'll we'll we'll, we'll just see kind of what the I, I think. The, the Syracuse offensive line and the Syracuse secondary are going di- to going to dictate this one, and uh, that might be the case for a lot of these games. Yeah, I mean, if we pick off Howell, and Howell was not a super interception prone player last year, I think he had seven. Um, if we can pick him off a few times and swing, you know, maybe get some some big plays. Obviously, that goes a long way in any game, but you know, maybe that's a, a position where we kind of put them on their heels. But um, if we're just trying to play them straight up, they're just a more talented offense, unfortunately. Um, but it, like you said, I, I think hopefully our fans don't like freak out too much of this one yet sadly because this unc team i mean they have very high expectations for a reason they should be i mean they're, they're the most talented offense in the total i think by far um, and could be like our legit top 20 team this year so um with all of with the challenges we have I, I i think it's tough to get super worked up unless like this is like really uglier than even it should be yeah, agreed i uh i feel like i'm not going to enjoy being on twitter in the second half of this one Although, who knows? Maybe I won't be watching at all based on the <laughs> current timeline says I'm still safe, but that can change on a dime. I'll be watching because it's going to be my birthday, and what else would I do on my birthday but watch my team maybe get points? <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that sounds about right, based on Andy's birthday post. Yep, that's uh, it's generally what I do. Anyway, uh, Dan, anything else before we head out today? No, even after a pretty dreary prediction, uh, still it's a good Syracuse football back. Hopefully no more bad surprises, maybe some good surprises before uh, before Saturday. But in any case, it was fun to have a little bit of football this Saturday, and it'll be uh, this past Saturday, and it'll be fun to have a more full slate this coming Saturday. So hopefully we're both wrong and Syracuse comes and lights the world on fire. Agreed, agreed. That would be awesome. All right, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Yes, always a pleasure. All right. Uh, for right now, you'll be hearing me next week, but that might change. If that does, don't be too surprised to hear some combination of Dan, Andy, Steve, Kevin, others. I don't know. Um, anyway, we'll get the super friends out. It'll be a it'll be a, a party. Yeah, it'll, it'll it'll you might you might enjoy it more than the regular podcast. Who knows? It'll be substitute teacher week. It'll be great. Yeah, put on put on a, a VHS. Yeah, you'll watch, uh, you'll throw on the Titanic and say, just take notes. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, All right. That was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon's Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, on Spotify's TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.